Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod. Here we're going to talk about the post-game for the Brown Bears, where Michigan State defeats Brown 68-50 at the Breslin Center. Uh, before we start, I just want to thank our supporters who are on a Patreon and who support us monthly. I'd also like to thank Alan Perstein for a one-time gift via PayPal and Ronald Pluszynski with also a one-time gift via PayPal, and he became a patron of the show at Patreon. You can do that if you want to support the show. We really appreciate it at www.tffinots.com support, and there you can be give uh, one-time gifts or recurring gifts. And our t-shirt order is out. And as Rod had mentioned previously, it's not the end of t-shirts. We're just had our one order out because we're going to try and get it out by Christmas and we'll see what happens. But it's at the printer and we'll see. And so, again, we were super excited by all the huge turnout from for the t-shirt order. And uh, I don't know. It's going to be pretty great. I lo- I'm looking forward to getting mine and wearing mine to the Breslin Center. Uh, so as far as the game goes, good highlights. Uh, I got my ice cream cookie right off this bat. It was delicious. And... I got my wife to wear Spartan gear, which I think that may have contributed to the win today. Also, uh, it made up a little bit for the fact that the heckler was back. He's behind me, but he didn't have a lot to heckle about, which was good. And How about the first few minutes when they couldn't grab a defensive rebound? Well, he was a little upset. He was more upset at, um, oh, he was more upset at, yeah, Jackson Cole not getting rebounds initially for a little bit when he was in. Um, so, yeah, the, he, was a little, he was a little grouchy about that. There were a couple of you know, fouls that weren't called, but thank goodness it was a great game because there are hardly any fouls called. I don't think either team made the double bonus. It was wonderful. I mean, we got in and out of You're that right. It was game. A, yeah. You know, they allowed some contact, but it, it was a lot like what you talk about in the, in the past where you say, you know, if there's a huge advantage given to the offense or defense that you have to call a foul, but they really, I mean, the ones they called, there were a couple ticky tack ones late in the game maybe, but beside that, I thought it was a pretty well officiated game. Over overall, yeah. I mean, I thought that um, I thought there. I, I remember there was one segment where uh, Joey Hauser got the ball around the rim, and God knows he didn't miss much from the floor today. But one of them he missed. He was pretty clearly hacked. They didn't call it. But yeah. the fact that I'm focusing on that play that that was one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, by exactly. and large, especially in a game like this, especially in a game where you know. One team is just kind of, and no insult to Brown, they're just kind of outmanned. Yeah. Um, the last thing you want is for the officiating to drag it out, and they didn't. So that was uh, that was good. Yeah, it was a great game. Michigan State had a pretty comfortable lead at halftime, uh, double digits, and then 
pulled away in the second half. There was a one little portion where Brown got it down to 15, and I thought, well, this is they can make it interesting. And then Michigan State scored seven points, and that was the end of the game. They were up 22, and they just sort of coasted in through the end and had the had the cameo roles for Sanders. And Davis Smith, off the bench, scores his first points as a Michigan State Spartan. So yeah, that was kind of cool. That was, gr- that was great to what see. What a layup, too. That was a pretty high. It was. That was, was a, a really that was difficult a shot. High difficulty shot. Um, and Nick Sanders just missed yeah. for, I think what would have been his first points on a, a jumper, a little, little jumper in the middle of the lane. Um, yeah, look, that one thing that I thought was really valuable in this game, and I'm sure you noticed it too, is that MSU got to play a lot of people, a lot of minutes. Yes. So I like, and in, and in different combinations too, I'm pulling up the book. So um, there's a lot of rest they got you know, finally. I mean, only one Hauser player over 30, 30 minutes. Hauser played 33, so yeah. that was pretty heavy, close to his normal. But Hogard 25, Walker 22, and some of that was foul trouble. Izzo mentioned that. Aikens 21, Sissoko 19, Brooks 20, Kohler 16, Carson Cooper 8, Trey Holloman 18, Whiten 6, David, David Smith 8. And then Steven is on Nick Sanders too. But I think, you know, Trey Holloman getting 18 minutes, Jackson Kohler getting 16, even Carson Cooper getting eight. That's all helpful. You know, one, it gave those guys opportunity to play, you know, under fire, so to speak, with lights are on. Um, That's always good. And, and it just gives them, I mean, Trey Holloman, I thought, had a really outstanding game. And I actually think despite the fact that he only scored two points, I thought Jackson Kohler had a pretty good game. Yeah. Um, and Carson so. Cooper did something. Carson Cooper got a bucket on a nice lob with Holloman. Uh, mm-hmm. Holloman, especially, though, was a guy that I really liked the way he played. But anyway, the big point is it's nice when you have a situation like this because God knows MSU hasn't had them this, this year yet <laughs> right. where they had a game in hand and were able to, um, you know, experiment a little bit. The things that were – we're used to seeing at certain points this time of year and just haven't had the opportunity for it this season. Right. So that might be why it's striking me as such a a breath of fresh air is because we just haven't seen it. Well, and I think the other thing about that game that was impressive, I mean, yeah, I think the offense to be up double digits at halftime, despite offense really not moving very well. I mean, it was, it was pretty poor offensive effort. Well, I don't know about effort, but it was certainly execution the first half, but up 14 but defensively solid throughout the game i mean from yeah, the beginning to the very end really to the, till the, till the uh you know the, the scrubs come in but it was it, there were a couple of breakdowns but they weren't there weren't many and you could definitely see it's from a uh from a strategic standpoint you know the trying to limit lily from um from yep. getting up much shots i mean he scored what three points they yeah, I think he hit him. one shot. Yeah, one he hit each. one three, and that was it. He was, you know, one for four from three. I mean, that's crazy. He only, for, first of all, yeah, only only one shot hit. But the fact that he only attempted seven and only four of them from three, that's their leading score. That's a that's an all Ivy guy. Yeah, right. and he was he was freshman of the year last year in that league. Um, and to completely shut his water off, you know, that's two games in a row. Um. Uh, the kid from uh, the kid from Penn State, um, Andrew Funk, 
Yeah, right. Um, he had three shots. You probably right? yeah. didn't see it because I'm sure you were driving. My wife was we talking about to... him hitting all the hitting all these shots or something against yes. Illinois. He, well, he scored 20 points, and he did exactly what he's done in most of their other games this year against Illinois today, which is take shots from you know weird spots on the floor. The timing doesn't feel within the flow. You know, he just and he makes a number of them. But the key there is even getting the shots off. You can't. That's a kid. He might need a third of the normal shooting window a Big Ten shooter needs to get his shot off. Mm-hmm. Um, and Michigan State just didn't give up shot attempts to him. Well, today, this team's leading scorer, they locked him up. So even though I think defense had been very spotty after Malik and Jaden got hurt for that, you know, four game or so stretch without both of them. I think that over the last two and I, I might even go back to that second half against Northwestern because I thought defensively in the second half of that game, Michigan state was still pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, They just didn't get enough done offensively to win it. Um, But you're starting to see this group get back on the beam defensively. In my opinion, they're, they're not where they're going to be when Malik is back and well integrated. That's another level they've got. And and when Jade Nakins is truly flowing at 100 percent, when those things happen, this team can really go up a level. But I think we saw hints of what that will look like in those early games. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Gonzaga game and the Kentucky game, Michigan State looked like a good defensive team. Even yeah. the Villanova game, they looked like a good defensive team. You know, so, um, but it, it's nice to see this group kind of finding itself again in that way. You know, that's a big deal. Yeah. Well, and you know, you, you never want injuries. You never want, but if you're going to have an injury, a temporary injury early in the season is when you yeah, want it, when you want to have it, right? And, and if you survive that and win the games, maybe not great, no, maybe not pretty, but you're winning them like, and winning enough of them, like Michigan state has managed to pull off. Yeah. They lost Northwestern, which was a, you know, a tough one being as a big 10, a conference game, but they managed to win like at Penn state. They won this game, obviously, but they're winning without their, their great players defensively. And you're getting guys with lots of minutes. You're getting whitens. Now you feel comfortable having him come in defensively. You definitely feel sure. better. But Brooks has been a, a ton better. All those minutes are going to pay yep. off later in the season. You know, you, when he comes to the game, you're not going to feel like, well, you're going to feel one thing. He's more comfortable offensively. But also even defensively, you feel like it's not going to be a complete disaster. Yep. And and so and you're getting a Kohler uh, some more minutes too. he's he's the guy. He's the guy of everybody today that I think really stood out. And I'm not saying Jackson Kohler, you know, was was looking like vintage Jaron Jackson out there <laughs> or anything. But I thought, you know, there was a there was a subtle moment in that Penn state game, even though he struggled at times, as we talked about with, with Mike Garland, um, there was one play in that game where he got switched on to pick it mm-hmm. and it was one-on-one and he hung with him and forced Pickett into a fadeaway, I don't know, 12 to 15 footer that he missed. Yeah. And I thought that was a small moment of progress. Like, Hey, he didn't get blown by. He held, he held in there and forced the guy into a shot he didn't want to take. And I thought today he built on that. I thought Jackson played very well defensively. 
He was good. Yeah, he was good. He was good at the ball screens, and which is yeah. what was tearing yeah. him apart. Now they're not as good a team, I suppose, as the oh, of you know, Penn State. But he did. He was he was like showing, and then he would get back usually in time. I mean, he wasn't as quick as Madi was because Madi is definitely faster getting back. But even Madi, there's like one time when he just went too far, and then he couldn't get back in time to cover right. uh, to cover the five diving to the to the rim. So I'm I'm very impressed with him just being. I think just. You know, I suppose just experience, right? You're you're out there more. You've kind of the more you see it, the more you've seen it, and so you're just you're prepared for the counters people are going to have against whatever you're doing defensively. I'm going to go back to something that Coach Garland talked about in regards specifically to Jackson when I asked, and I was talking more about the offensive end, but I think it applies to the totality of his game, where we said, you know, what what do you think has got to change for him? Is it to be more productive? Is it experience? Is it he's got to get stronger? You know, and the word he used was confidence. Yes. And, and that is going to come first and foremost from getting opportunities and managing to do some positive things with the opportunities he's getting. Mm -hmm. And I think he did that today. Now he didn't have a great offensive game. He missed some shots. Um, you know, Jess Settles talked about it on the broadcast. And I think he was right. And I've said a similar thing. He's like, look, some of these moves he's making are good moves. Those shots are going to go later in the year. And they're definitely going to go like next year. Um, but I think it's true defensively as well. You know, the more good sequences he can have, the more he's going to believe in himself. And, and this is the other thing, too you know that the feedback he's going to get from his coaches when they go over the film is going to be positive, right? So that's yeah. going to help build confidence as well. So all that stuff kind of comes together, but that's, I was really glad to see this for him because I think that's two games in a row where, no, he's not out there playing all American level basketball, but he is contributing in very tangible, positive ways. You know, he grabbed seven rebounds today. I mean, I've had there's somebody on the Spartan Mag board that's been posting incessantly for the last week that Jackson Kohler is the worst rebounding big man in Izzo's tenure. It's flat out untrue. The the worst one just left town. Yeah. Julius Marble. That's a fact. Um, but but Jackson Kohler can be a good rebounder. Is he is he securing every possible rebound he gets his hands on right now? No, because he's a freshman. But you saw today. If he's in the right position, and he usually is, he could secure the ball, particularly on the defensive boards. Um, yeah. You know, you Playing don't two have offensive to be, rebounds too, right? But you don't have to be a great a great leaper. You don't have to be, um, you know, Charles Atlas. <laughs> you could be a good rebounder simply by knowing where to be and putting a body on somebody and doing your job. And I thought he did that very well today. So progress for him is measured in some different ways, but anything that's getting him to a point where he can start believing in himself more is going to have a, um, a knock on effect. And I think we'll continue to see better and better play from him as he continues to build confidence. And I think in general for Tom Izzo teams and players, when they start playing well defensively, the offense comes after that. And so once you get that confidence and comfort in there, I think partly is just, you know, you're going to be able to stay in the court. Right, because you don't defend, you're not going to stay out there very long, and so I think the offense will come soon. And I do think 
some point, some team in the Big Ten is going to have him drop 15 or 16 on them. I don't know when it will be, but I think it's going to happen. I agree. I, th- I think you're probably right. Um, you know, because I, I, I think it'll be interesting to see if, again, something Coach Carlin brought up, which we've noticed too, is that you see even now when he hasn't had a chance to really do anything yet, he gets the respect of teams doubling him. Yeah. In the post. Sometimes they're not even, they're not doubling Mahdi, but they double him. Um, somebody's probably going, somebody in this league is going to play him straight up. And I think that's the game where you might see that kind of explosion happen, you know? Uh, yeah. But it's, you're making an interesting point there. I think at MSU, you're absolutely right. The, the classic gold standard example of what you're talking about is Morris Peterson's sophomore year, actually his third year in the program, but his redshirt sophomore year, which was the season that MSU as a program really came of age. If you remember, Morris Peterson had a club on his right hand and he was told by his coach that he had been in the doghouse. He had been, I, I think it was a year earlier. He was left behind, didn't make the trip <laughs> yeah. uh, to a tournament, to a feast week tournament. Um, you know, Morris Peterson was really at a tipping point in his career. It sounds weird to say about a guy who's now considered an all time great, has his Jersey in the rafters, all that, but it's true. And he was told, look, you're only playing with one hand. So the only way you're going to get on the floor is if you guard somebody. And he was maybe the first of a cast of thousand cents that Izzo has talked about trying to find somebody on campus. He could guard um, up to that point, but he got, he got religion. He got the message started defending hellaciously. And so MSU began to play him despite the fact that he was playing one handed. That was his shooting hand that was free, but still, and, and that sparked his entire career, a career that made him an All-American, a Big Ten MVP his senior year, co-MVP, um, a long-time, a first-round draft pick, a long-time NBA player. All of that really started to come to fruition when he figured out that he had the defense was his ticket, and it built confidence from there. So at Michigan State, I think that happens. Um, again, I keep, I, I feel like I'm a broken record, but I, I, I'm going back to it because I think there were so many great things that came out of that Mike Garland discussion. And this was another one of them. He talked about it in regard to Penn state and their shooters, not getting looks. Mm -hmm. And, and also we were talking about Purdue and the way Michigan state has chosen to defend them over the years uh, or recent years, at least, um, that sometimes when guys that are shooters aren't getting touches, their defense goes in the toilet too. Yeah. Right. You know, at Michigan state, I think you're right. Sometimes it cuts the other way, but that doesn't hold true necessarily at other programs. Um, so anyway, um, but I think, yeah, I think overall nice defensive effort from Michigan state. They played well enough offensively. They did some, some things particularly well. I mean, the, the turnovers once again is just, I mean, they're, they're in the top 40 now nationally in Ken Palm. I don't know where, and, and might even be higher than that. They're 37th, I think coming into this game. And, uh, after this one, I think they had six turnovers. Yeah. Um, it's probably going to go up from there. So who knows? They might crack the top 30. 
I might need a defibrillator if we did have that happen. So yeah, I mean it's crazy, right? <laughs> the best finish for a Tom Izzo team, and it's only happened twice, is number seventy-one nationally. Mm-hmm. This would be remarkable to see that. But anyway, great effort defensively, good enough offensively. Ball yep. game. I think that's a good good way to sum it up. And you know, we go through the keys of the game. The first one is focus, and I think the the most impressive thing about this defensive effort. I feel like a lot of times you watch games like this and there's a, a there's a five to 10 minute stretch where Michigan State plays really poor defense. You're like, oh, if they only had maintained that defensive intensity or whatever, there wasn't really a stretch there in the, this game. I mean, there are a couple, you know, layups off turnovers or something, but for the most part, they really were locked in and they were, they were focused this game. They did not look like they were playing the uh, jersey instead of, you know, they were just, they were playing their game the whole time. And so... I think that was really impressive. Uh, and so I think the focus yeah. thing was was great. And, and again, you mentioned before with the rest situation, you know, they hadn't had much rest, but neither did Brown. So there was that was sort of like a push. The only thing I would criticize here, and it's, it's what Izzo was criticized is probably too light a term. The only thing he was he had to criticize, I think, was that opening stretch where they just couldn't grab an offensive rebound. Right. And again, Brown is a very poor offensive rebounding team that really doesn't have it as part of their game plan to even try to compete on the offensive boards. And when that happens, well, you got a problem. But that got straightened out. You know, yeah. they had seven offensive rebounds in, I don't know, the first eight minutes or so, something like that. Might have even been less. And then they only had four the rest of the way. So MSU cleaned it up, but that was the only thing I think was lacking maybe in terms of focus. The other things you would worry about the defensive effort, you know, did they let Brown get loose and, uh, and get a lot of clean looks? No. Did, um, did they kick the ball around and make mistakes? No. So the things that normally you look at as examples of a lack of focus, um, not paying attention to the opponent, uh, not taking them seriously, all that stuff. That was not evident. Yeah. Well, the number two key to the game was offensive rebounding, which we've commented that Michigan State has not been great this season, offensive rebounding. And you could argue, well, they had 12 offensive rebounds off 37 misses, so about 33%, a little under 33%. Not fantastic, but this was the number one defensive rebounding team in the country, allowing only right. 18.9%. They're not going to be number one anymore. Uh, so I think, you know, in that sense, it was really good. And and again, I Pierre Brooks, say what you will about certain other parts of his game. He is ferocious getting those offensive rebounds. He always seemed yeah. to have a couple every game. He is really good at just, I don't know, he just goes after it. And that's, I mean, that'll definitely earn him some more playing time. So he had, of his six rebounds, three were offensive. Joey only had five rebounds. Uh, but partly that was mainly because the centers were pointing down Madi and, and Kohler. And so, yep. you know, Joey really couldn't get him, but he had three offensive boards. Yeah, I was, um, I am actually, I, I look, I'm <laughs> Michigan state fans know what elite offensive rebounding looks like. This is not that today was not <laughs> right. that, but was it a step in the right direction? Absolutely. It was. I don't care who you're playing. And and let's remember, you know, Brown had played 10 games. They played some decent, you know, Rhode Island is an A-10 school, right? Yeah. Um, they played some decent opposition to this point. Brown was, I don't know, they were rated two, number 212 
coming into this game in Ken Palm overall. That's not a powerhouse, but that's not, you know, occasionally in the non-conference, you will see a team that's, you know, 313, 330, something like that. Right. Michigan State wasn't playing that level of team. So my point is, were they, are they truly objectively the best defensive rebounding team in the country? No, but right. they were rated that coming in for a reason. And regardless of where they actually in reality would check in, they're clearly a team that emphasizes it and is good at defensive rebounding bottom line. So for Michigan state to get into the, you know, low to mid thirties in terms of percentage, uh, offensive rebounding percentage that represents progress. Yeah. So I, I was happy with that. Uh, the next obvious one was guarding the arc, and we already sort of went over that. Brown was not able to. I mean, they got a couple. They got they were four, were they four for twenty. <laughs> yeah, so not very good. Uh, and this for twenty percent, and very few open looks. I and mean, they had a couple. I you know Wojcik had a couple that were open early. He hit one of them. Uh, they, but most of them, even when he got them, it. This is this is a lot what Garland was talking about, right? Even when guys are getting them, they almost feel rushed to get them to get them off because they're right. like, "Oh, I'm open for the first time." It it really reminds me of that Syracuse nightmare game in the NCAA tournament, where even when Michigan yep. State was open at that point in the game, they're just they were almost surprised they're open and they're just shooting too fast and you know, just out of rhythm. There's there's no question that Michigan State has really tightened it up um, over these last say three games or two and a half games. Um, in terms of its perimeter defense. And today was another example. Is Brown a great shooting team? No. But they're not a horrible shooting one. And Michigan State, and, and I would I would guess, I would assume that their game plan probably would have called for more than 20 attempts from three. I would assume that. Well, they, they usually over 50%, and they had that was only a third of their shots were threes. Yeah. So, you know, ideally... I'm sure their coaches wanted a lot more attempts going up, but Michigan State just wasn't letting them get clean looks. Job done. You know? Yep. Simple as that. Next one, A.J. Hogard. He played 25 minutes. He was 6 of 12 from the field, 1 of 4 from 3, 4 of 4 of the line, 4 defensive rebounds, 4 assists, 1 turnover, a block. and really, So he finished with 17 points, and he showed that – I guess that last sort of right before he left the game near the end of that second half, he just, he was just, just chewing up those guards. I mean, he, he wasn't letting him get anything and you can see he's just ferocious. I mean, just blocking and they couldn't yeah. get past him. It was, well, it was sort of like a, his performance against Ivy last season where he just was really locked in. And I feel like this is his best defensive performance of the season, at least at least during some stretches there where he was really just playing hard. Yep. I, I agree. I think, you know, this is, because he's, he's one of the guys, one of the few, that could come out of that Northwestern game feeling pretty good about the way he played. So he has now strung three together after the first eight, I guess it was, um, were not great. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's the thing. Michigan State, even in the wins, the big wins they had, you know, um, Kentucky, uh, Villanova, Oregon, even in those games – I didn't feel like AJ ever gave 40 minutes in any of them where you felt like, all right, that's the AJ at the level that we think he can get to, you know? Um, but these last three, he has gotten there. Yeah. 
And, and that's a big deal. That's a big, big deal. Because if you've got that guy consistently delivering at this level, then we're talking about a different team. We really are. We're talking about a team that the, the biggest thing to me uh, that I like is offensively. Look, we, uh, until, until Jackson Kohler really gains enough confidence to be a guy that, that is playing more and that you're looking to get more post touches. This is not a team that's got a lot going on in terms of point production in the paint, right? Um, Madi, as you know, they they tried to start the game going to him. First three shots from the floor, I think, were all his. Yes. He didn't hit any of them. Um, you know, that's fine. We've seen him make those plays before. I don't have any problem with doing that. But I think even the staunchest defender of Madi's would probably say um, – He's not a go-to guy on the blocks yet, right? Yeah. Uh, Joey Hauser can do some things down there, and he started to do more of it lately, which is encouraging. Malik Hall was capable of doing that as well when he is back and reintegrated. But I would maintain Michigan State's best option for getting things happening in the paint is represented in one A.J. Hogart. Yeah. That's, I, I mean, that's just how it is. And you are not going to win in this league if you can't get production in the paint. And again, it can come a lot of different ways. It can come via penetration. It can come via post-ups, a lot of different ways to skin that proverbial cat, but one way or another, you've got to do it. And what I like about the way AJ's playing is he's giving them that production now consistently. It's not, and it's not all, you know, either ill-advised three-point attempts or fullback dives to the rim. It's a variety of stuff. It's taking an open 15-footer. When it's in the flow of the offense and it's and it's there and it's open, well, that's a good shot to take. You know, you have to be willing. I, I, you know, this Nate Oates of <laughs> analytics-driven basketball, and they, and they got a big win today over Houston and all that. That's great. You know what? He's got to take that team through three weekends in March before I buy that a team that plays that high variance style is built to win the NCAA tournament. Um, at Michigan State, you got to have guys that can do that. And AJ is looking like a guy that can deliver in that way. You got to take what the defense gives you. And he gives them an element to allow the team to do that that I don't know they have in any other player. So that's a big deal. But hats off to him. He's playing very well right now. His his task is with, I think it's one game in the next three weeks, one game in the next 21 days, I think is how it goes. Um, he's got to keep this edge. And I would say, too, with AJ, the one thing that I want to see a little bit more of is I think I want to see a little bit better leadership. I, I know he's getting better. Yep. But, you know, like, uh, for instance, when he had that play where he um, he dribbled off his foot, he, you know, you can you can you can be upset that it happened, but he just kind of looks like dejected and uh, upset. He just needs to just say my bad or whatever. And then just, you know, clap his hands or when people mess up, he needs to I think it'll be a little more encouraging and stuff. And that's I think I'm hoping that that'll be his next sort of part to that leadership thing where he doesn't always, you know, where he just takes responsibility for what he does sometimes and. 
Um, and that's, you know, that's the next step. I'm with you. That's it. You know, I, I, I think that the, um, <laughs> the gold standard in that respect, in this program, in my opinion, is Mateen Cleaves. Sure. Mateen Cleaves was a guy who did it all because he could, he could get after other people. And yet he was able to hold himself accountable while never allowing a mistake to take himself out of a game. And that's what you do worry about with AJ, as you said, when the sulking happens, is that going to mean that you let one bad play turn into three before you get your head together? A guy like Cleves didn't do that. He owned it. And then it was next play. You know, um, that's what a, where AJ's got to get to if he's really going to maximize what he can be as a player here. Yeah, and finally for keys of the game is tempo. Uh, fast break points, Michigan State had uh, 10 and uh, Brown had 8. What is interesting is points of turnovers, which has been a problem for Michigan State. They only gave up off the... No, they didn't have any turnovers, just 6. But they only gave up 2 points. Brown had... Not that many turnovers either. They had nine turnovers, and yet Michigan State had eleven points off, eleven points off that turn those turnovers. So yeah, there were segments in that game where I thought they they got some of those you know turnovers for touchdowns, right? Yeah, um, and that probably helped boost MSU's uh, stat. I actually, I'll tell you, and we say this a hundred times. I probably should just stop saying it, but <laughs> I do not let the fast break points yeah. stat. Uh, affect how I, how I view that. I actually thought Michigan state did a decent job. I'm not going to say a great job, but I thought they did a decent job of pushing the ball. You know who I really like in, in the transition game, the way he's carrying himself. I think Trey Holloman is, is showing really good instincts for that. And, and look, if the worst thing that you do is you get the ball up quickly and get get your team into the half court offense. That's got value in and of itself. Sure. That's yeah. what I mean. I don't care. Okay. Fast break basket. All right. Did you get initiated? Did you get the offense initiated quickly? Are you forcing the other team to devote mental and physical energy to getting back consistently? If you're doing those things, there's value in just that. And I thought Michigan State did okay. Yeah, I liked I liked Aikens' uh, long uh, no look pass to Hauser. That was a nice play, and that was that was, that was a great segment all the way around because yeah. that came off the Sissoko block shot at the rim, and then Aikens right looked off the defender. And it was just a great, maybe the best pass he's made at MSU. Yeah, <laughs> well, it'd be hard to top that one. I guess I guess you could. Yeah, uh, and and I really liked. Trey Holloman when uh, AJ had, I think he scored one or two baskets and then they were kind of a semi break and Holloman just flicked it to, to Hogard who launched a three missed it. It would just, just rimmed out. But I love that instinct to, you know, you got a guy who's got a hot hand, who's feeling it and just tossing it to him. Right. You know, it was, it seemed like a good, a smart sort of point guard play. You know, you go, you feeding the hot hand and it just seemed like the right thing to do at that time. Didn't turn out to, to score, but I thought I liked the, the thought there. You know, we, we spent time obviously talking about Jackson Kohler just needing to develop a little more confidence. I, I think when when the switch flips for Trey Holloman and he's confident enough offensively to not just look to kind of survive possessions, but to actually go out there and look to score, because I think he should. 
I think he's got enough game to be able to do that right now. Um, when he makes that transition, I think Michigan State is going to have a very valuable piece in that rotation. And, and I'm, I'm still very, very optimistic that happens yet this year. Um, yeah. You know, he kind of came out of the gates feeling good. He had some moments against Gonzaga where I thought he showed that. And then more recently, he seemed kind of hesitant to shoot. Um, and was it, I think it was in today's game. He had a he had a step back three that just didn't go, but it was a great move. And I was yeah, really glad crossover. to see him take yeah. the shot. Yeah, I was really glad to see him make that move and take the shot because that to me is is the final piece of the puzzle for him. Um, he is, uh, he's a capable, I think capable enough player that he should be able to feel confident in trying to score. And if he does that, he's got everything else. We know he's very sound defensively. There's no question about that. And the way that he runs the offense, both in transition and in the half court, you feel, at least I feel very comfortable. With him, the, the problem has been you're, if you're playing him out there rather than, say, Tyson Walker or A.J. Hogard, you don't have a guy at the moment who's as, uh, who's as much of a threat offensively as those guys are, so that hurts your flow. But if he starts to gain the confidence to look to be a threat more consistently, well, then teams are going to have to deal with him, and I think that's going to make the whole thing that much better. So I, yeah, I, I think that's another thing to watch. You know, Izzo made the comment that um, in the post game, I saw a transcript of his, um, of his comments and, you know, not surprisingly, he said, these could be the biggest three weeks of the season with sure. what's coming up. And I think that's true in a lot of ways. And for a lot of guys, right. The first thing is the obvious one. You got to get Malik call healthy get them back, get them reacclimated. That's number one. But then when you go beyond that, you know, it's get Jay Nakins feeling more and more comfortable. And look, we're seeing, I mean, he hit three triples today, right? That's a good sign. I think he's playing Not too bad. <laughs> he's playing well defeat. He made that great look off pass. You mentioned, um, I think he's playing well defensively. I think he's got another gear defensively. He could get to. But because I think he could be a lockdown defender, not just a good one. Um, but, you know, progress there. He just needs to keep coming. I think what we haven't seen yet and, and really this season yet, because he hasn't ever fully been in the groove whenever he's played, um, is I think Jade Nakins is a much more versatile scorer than we've seen. To date, it's mostly been jumpers. I think he's got more in him. But, you know, get that back over this next three weeks. And then after that, I think other than guys who have been playing well, just maintaining that, um, it's about younger guys. It's about Kohler and, uh, and Holloman in particular, in my opinion, going that next step. And that probably, if it's going to happen, it probably happens in the ways that, that Mike Garland talked about the other night, which is you know doing that individual skill work over this next three weeks and getting to a point that they feel confident enough to use those moves, to try to make those plays in game action. And if those two guys can make that kind those kind of strides, 
well, now you're really talking about a Michigan State team that has the kind of depth it needs to have, you know, because it's not just about do you have a body that can go out there and play or even a body that can, you know, Trey Holloman, okay, you at least know he's going to guard people well, right? Mm -hmm. What you really want is you want guys that can be, can impact the game in all areas when they're on the floor. That's what you want. That's what you're trying to get to. And so I think that's where this next two to three weeks is really important for the young guys. And, and I don't even want to leave Carson Cooper out too. But, you know, I think in particular, Kohler and, and Holloman are the two that come first to mind. Yeah. And I think, you know, after seeing Walker get a second foul, this is the second second game in a row, or maybe it's a Northwestern game in this game, yep. where he gets into foul trouble early. You know, Holloman is going to, is he has to be ready to come in and the more versatile, like you mentioned, both on both ends of the court, the, the tougher this team's going to be. Just look to be a scoring threat because if he's a threat, people have to guard him differently, and that's going to open up more opportunities. And and I'll tell you something, have I, I watched a lot of tape on on that guy when he committed when he was being recruited. So a lot of his high school tape, he has a flair to him as a playmaker that that we have not yet seen at MSU. But trust me, it is there. And that's probably going to be something that also happens when his confidence level is improved. And it will also happen when opponents have to guard him differently, because that's going to mean easier opportunities to find others are going to present themselves. Right. When he's yeah. got to be guarded differently. Um, so that's a, it's a really big deal. And I say that because to me, there's no obvious reason why it can't happen other than just his confidence. There's no skill set developed. Like he's, we're not talking about Tum Tum Nairn. We're like, all right, there's a limitation as a shooter that's probably not going to get solved short term. And as it turned out, it never really truly got solved. Right. Um, but that's not Trey Holloman. Uh, Trey Holloman's not Sean Respert, but he's also not Tum Tum Nairn. So, the skill set is there. It's that the confidence isn't quite where you would want it yet for him to be that super impactful guy. But I think he can get there and hopefully it's going to come. We've seen it before this time of year, always very important at Michigan state this year, maybe even more so because they've got so much time to work on this. So it's encouraging. I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. Absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, so our the next game is Oakland, which is on the 21st. So that's almost it's over a week, week and a half away. So plenty of time. And then they've got about a nine days until the 30th for the Buffalo game. And then then it's, you know, hot, heavy straight through in the Big Ten season. And I, and, you know, a word on what's coming and then, you know, maybe just a brief discussion on the Big Ten, because um, we're, we're at a point where I think we could start to form some early impressions at least um so the oakland game obviously the return of rocket watts to uh um to uh breslin um unfortunately he is he is not off to a spectacular start and the team isn't off to one they're two and nine i believe yeah. the last time they're struggling yeah which is yeah it's not you know greg campy usually has that team in a better spot now that doesn't necessarily mean anything um, they, they may well yet go on and have a fine season on the horizon, but it's this, at least on the surface, 
you know, we've had years, especially in recent years where, you know, Oakland's had an NBA level guy. Yeah. Right. On their roster. And big wins and stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And this is not shaping up as that. Um, So I don't know whether that's relief, what have you, but, you know, we always know they're going to come in and play that game extremely hard, be very competitive. So Michigan State's really going to have to answer the bell, but at least it's not, um, you know, some years it has seemed like, boy, there's a real serious threat in this game. And it's not quite looking like that right now. Yeah. You know, speaking about the Big Ten, just real briefly, you know, a, a number of teams have now played two games in the league. And um, there's some interesting stuff. I mean, Michigan State got a boost today because Penn State went in yeah. to Champaign and flat out waxed Illinois in what I think was, and I've never thought Brad Underwood was a great coach. But this was really bad. I mean, really, really poor strategically. And, you know, that. and Illinois is a team that people were talking up as recently as earlier this week when they went in and beat the number two team in the country, Texas. Um, and, and that isn't their only big win. They also beat Illinois. Or, I'm sorry, beat UCLA. We're talking about Illinois. So they've, they've excited people, but you know, in relative to the Big Ten, they're zero and two now. They got beat on the road by Maryland. Not a surprise because Maryland's playing very well, and at home they're tough. And then to lose a home game to Penn State, you know that that's the thing. When the Big Ten started with this two games in December thing a few years ago, I think to me it's psychologically tough to lose them both. Yeah. Right. Because it feels it feels like when you get back into league play in January, oh, God, you're already behind the eight ball because you've already lost. <laughs> yeah. You, you've lost a home game, most likely. And and you're owing two overall. That's that's the spot Illinois is in right now. That doesn't mean they can't recover from it. But, you know, and, and we've been talking on the other game today. We've been talking a lot about the depth of the league and how it's clearly better than I think anybody expected. It's certainly better than we expected. Um, another example of that today was Purdue went into Lincoln and <laughs> had everything they wanted. And I'm going to tell you, having watched that game flat out, Purdue did not deserve to win. There was a really horrendous call late at a big inflection point that could have resulted in a Nebraska win. But even apart from that, Nebraska had tons of opportunities and just couldn't hit shots when they needed to. I mean, lots of them. But the fact that it was a one-possession game in overtime tells you that what we've talked about, that, boy, the league kind of looks like there aren't going to be a lot of soft touches. I think that's correct. We're already seeing it. Nebraska beat a Creighton team that's very good already this season. Should have beaten Purdue today. We saw Northwestern beat Michigan State in East Lansing. We've seen Penn State beat Illinois in Champaign. In Champaign yeah. The, these are teams that are supposed to be among the bottom, you know, three or four teams of the conference, right? Um, you know, we had a, a Maryland team that wasn't, I, we didn't pick them much higher than that. 
and they look great thus far. So, and there aren't a lot of teams. I would say the only team right now in my eyes that looks like they're perhaps a bit less than people anticipated is Michigan. And that's not, it's honestly, it's not me putting on my anti-Michigan hat. It's true. <laughs> yeah. They don't, I, I know they, I know they handled Minnesota on the road, but Minnesota is the only team in this league that looks to me like they don't have enough to really be competitive. And that could change if Jamison battle gets back into the swing of things. I don't having watched him a couple of times recently, I know he's playing, but I don't feel like he's really himself yet. Uh, but Michigan is the one team that was expected to be tournament caliber. And right now I don't think they are, maybe they'll get there, but I don't think they're a tournament caliber team at the moment. Um, but other than that, man, find me a big 10 team that's worse than what you thought they'd be. You're, you're hard on other Minnesota. Maybe you're, you're hard pressed to, in my opinion. Yeah, I think so. I think the, and when we went through the previews, all these teams had questions and I think for the most part, they've all been answered positively, at least to some degree. Right. Yeah. Ish. Um, it's, uh, you know, I still think questions exist. So, for example, bringing up Purdue. Um, yeah, Purdue's undefeated and Purdue's 2-0 in the league. And that was, you know, it was important they got that win. But I still think there are reasons to wonder about their their youth at the guard spots. I mean, sure. if, uh, Fletcher Lawyer had a huge game today, and the point guard, Smith, at least was hitting his free throws late. But, you know, those guys are going to get tested. I mean, I, I got to tell you, when Michigan State faces those guys with Michigan State's guards, I, I don't care what the numbers tell you. Advantage Michigan State <laughs> you know, yeah. at the guard spots. Yeah. Uh, freshman guards are going to have a hard time with A.J. Hogard and Tyson Walker. Never mind Jaden Akins. They just are. Um, so I still think, you know, I don't think Purdue is saying that there were people who were starting to talk as if Purdue's going to run away and hide at this thing. I don't believe that for a second. No, I think they're good. They're better than I anticipated, but are they some kind of definitive? No, Illinois. Look, Illinois has a ton of individual talent, right? Yep. But I still don't know if that's a team that is coherent and they've got a problem with freshman guards as well. A big problem. You know, I go on and on and on. I'm not going to go through every team, but you get my point. I'm watching yeah, yeah. Indiana losing to Arizona right now in Las Vegas. Indiana has shown, and they've already lost a Big Ten game. They already lost at Rutgers. So, you know, Indiana was kind of the de facto favorite. They might be there in the end, but I, I don't think they're any kind of great team. I think I think what it is is that there are more teams that deserve to be labeled good or pretty good or very good yeah. in the Big Ten than there were. I don't. I still don't think there's a great team, but you know what? I don't think there's a great team in any league anywhere. So, mm -hmm. you know, what does that mean? <laughs> I, I, I don't <laughs> think it means the Big Ten can't get teams to the Final Four this season. Um, it's, but it's just, you know, the, the league is going to be tough because there are more teams that look like they're able to play decent or good level quality basketball than we yeah. thought. And, and not a lot of nights that you can just kind of roll the balls out and say, we're going to take care of business. This is easy. You know, it's sure. not going to be easy very often. 
And so the other thing you want to discuss is, I suppose, our programming, right? Is that what you're referring yep. to? Yeah. So uh, for those who have, didn't catch it the last time, I think I, we mentioned it, but we are going to have Coach Thomas Kelly, uh, assistant coach for Michigan State. He will be on the show. And we're just confirming the time. And so hopefully it'll be one of these two weeks, one of these, I don't know what you call them, dead weeks or whatever. They're weeks where that's not as busy. Uh, and so we'll get him on and looking forward to that discussion. And the other thing is the other week that's kind of slow, we wanted to do an ask me anything. So I'd encourage you to send questions to me at, uh, Eric at TFFINOTS.com. And it can be, you know, again, ask me anything. It doesn't have to be necessarily basketball related, probably more interesting, but maybe if other questions for either Rod or me, uh, so you can just submit those. We've already had about six questions. So we'll get through, I think as many as we can, we'll just kind of see how many we get. That's our plan for the, for these, uh, these next two weeks. And, uh, and then obviously at, at some point in there, we'll also be doing an Oakland preview as well. Yeah. Uh, that game is in what? 10 days, I think. So yeah, it's in 10 days. So we got time before and after 10 and, or then 11, before, so, and then obviously the Buffalo yeah. pre and post game as well. And then we get right. hot and heavy into the season. Uh, and one little programming note, which is not actually programming, but Grinnell college, which was, uh, <laughs> which is a very a D3 school, which is in my wife's con- – so my wife went to Luther College up in northeast Iowa. She's an Iowan. Uh, we, we met in medical school in Iowa. But uh, Grinnell was a, was in the conference that played Luther. And their coach for a number of years now – I don't know. It might even be two decades. He might be almost 20 years that he's been there. Has a, has a philosophy. The only way he can attract players to have fun to co- come to Grinnell and play is he lets them basically play crazy – Basketball. He he makes makes Nate Oates look like a very conservative offensive. Uh, yes, and he's been doing it for years. Yes. Yeah. So they they uh, they uh, they had a game. I think uh, maybe the last game they didn't attempt any two point shots the entire game. They were all threes. So just tonight they went thirty six percent from three, hitting forty of them. So they're forty of one hundred and eleven <laughs> for three. They won one hundred and twenty something to seventy something. Uh, so. Uh, I, one of my partners is actually Winter Grinnell. And so he's, you know, always kind of happy about that. So kind of cool. I mean, that's kind of fun to do in that sort of, you know, that kind of league, you can get away with that sort of thing. It, it, it's not quite Loyola Marymount, but, but sort of, well, I was, you know. I was going to say if, if listeners of a certain age envision like 1989 to yeah. 1992 Loyola Marymount when Paul Westhead was there, if you envision that, but even more extreme, that's what you're talking about. And I was, I, I actually was not aware that that same coach was still there. Um, obviously I knew that was Grinnell's thing. Um, you know, look, division three, good for them. It, uh, it, it makes for entertainment, I guess. Um, not my thing, but, um, <laughs> you know, enjoy it guys. Well, and you know, I, I, uh, I remember hearing someone talk about, what it was like to be a coach. Maybe you were telling the story or, but uh, if you're a head coach at a division two school, you know, there's no scholarships, right. For, um, for athletes. And so a lot of these schools will have football programs, not because, uh, because they make a lot of money with people coming in, but they get a lot of people come to pay tuition. And so it's a way to just drive, to drive people to, to apply to their school sure, and to come to attend school. So there are these coaches who come from maybe, low D1 schools and they they're assistant coaches and then they go to a D2 school and to coach or D3 and they're amazed at that, that all the resources are given because the school's like yeah we'll 
we'll you can put anyone you want on the team. We'll get we'll get as many helmets you need and pads and stuff because those guys are paying fifty, sixty thousand dollars. <laughs> you know, there's no amount of helmets we have that is gonna you know that's gonna break the bank for us. So they'll have gigantic and rosters for some of these because a lot teams. of especially at the D three level. Um, I would think, and I've, I've, this is just dawning on me as I'm thinking about it, but I would think a heavy, heavy, heavy percentage of D3 are com- is comprised of private institutions, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I yeah. mean, there's almost no state schools. You still see a lot of state schools at the D2 level. Right. Like if you look at Michigan, the D2 schools, Ferris State, Grand Valley, Lake Superior, these are state schools. Yeah, North Michigan. Yeah. Um, right. Not the case with the D3 schools in this state, you know, Calvin. Hope, Olivet, Alma, Albion, all those yeah. MIAA schools are Kalamazoo, K College, yeah. all private schools. And I would think that's true pretty much everywhere. So you make an interesting point at a private school tuition is, you know, I, I've got to I got to believe it's absurd at this stage <laughs> in, a, in a in a private school. It ain't cheap, so, my friend. Yeah. What's that? I said it ain't cheap. I can tell you that. Much. No. Looking at stuff and, with my kids and, going to school, uh, and so yeah, it's a probably a a pretty good move financially, right? Yeah, and there I know I've read stories too where where these D schools will bring in football programs because if you have a football program, you tend to get more men interested in your school, even if they're not playing football, and so it's a way of just driving it just uh, more admissions and stuff, which is interesting, sort of like a like a marketing sort of thing. I, I will give you a slightly related story. Uh, only tangentially, but I, I think the other end of that, the way to work that system from uh, a friend of mine who's an attorney in this area. So he was, um, he's a very large human being. He's probably about six, five or so, and he's big. And I believe he was a lineman in high school and he played, played in suburban Detroit. And because he was a, he was a smart kid, um, you know, relatively smart. Uh, he got offered at Yale mm-hmm. Now he wouldn't have gotten into Yale. You know, the Ivy said, Oh, we don't, you know, oh, yeah, we don't offer scholarships, true. all that. It's true. But do they make accommodations for someone who might be a superior athlete for their level? Yeah, they do. Yeah. And sure. so this guy, took the offer from Yale. So he got admitted to Yale, which again, he was a smart guy, but he probably wouldn't have gotten admitted to Yale, which, you know, I'm sure most of our listeners know is about the toughest trick to turn, give or take MIT or Caltech sure. um, in the country. And then he quit about three weeks in, <laughs> but he's already admitted to the school. He didn't want to play football anymore. So he used it as a tool to get admitted. And he had, he got his undergrad degree from Yale. No kidding. That was, wow. Yeah. That's a way to get into the system. I'm surprised they that didn't just proved kick him out. that they made a good admissions decision in my book. Yes. <laughs> if you were clever <laughs> enough to figure, to game that out and figure, I don't really want to play football anymore, but I can use this to get into, you know, the school of my dreams. That's great. <laughs> and you didn't even waste a year grinding through football. Right. Yeah. Right. You got through your freshman classes. That's very funny. Yeah. Uh, well, I, like I said, we'll get back to you pretty soon in a couple of days. And again, just kind of stay tuned. Make sure you're, if you've not subscribed, you do subscribe to the show. I uh, also wanted to mention on my way back. So we have a new parking situation at, at uh, Michigan State. And 
I have refused to listen to my wife. She said, just turn right and just go straight, right? But I've, I've insisted on finding, you know, various paths out of the out of campus to get home. And they've all been disasters. Like I'm, the last time we drove, I must have driven about 20 miles through East Lansing. I'm all over the place. If it was, if you remember the old family circus cartoons where you had a dotted line all over the yeah. place, that was pretty much our route out. So today I just took the direct route and man, was it fast. And so, <laughs> so I had to uh, admit to How did you go? I just turned down, uh, where I'm parking in Jenison and I just parked, I just turned down Kalamazoo and just went straight on Kalamazoo to the, to the, um, to the to highway the freeway, right? which is yeah. the logical route, except tr- turning right out of there right after the game. There are like 8 million pedestrians, you know, crossing the street everywhere. And so sure. it just, it backs up. You can't get across the intersection. So I thought there's gotta be a faster way. That yeah, turns out, no, <laughs> the best way is just to go <laughs> and you just shoot straight and just go right across. And you know, uh, Occam's razor, right? Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. So I, you know, sometimes you try and be too clever and find ways to, to get yeah. game the system. And maybe the best way is just to kind of take the direct route. So we did that this time. Yep. <laughs> so, Good stuff. so now I got it. Now I got it figured out. So anyway, uh, until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. <laughs>